This is David Tarkington, pastor of First Baptist Church of Orange Park and the First Family Network. You are listening to the teaching ministry of our church. Thank you for downloading this sermon. If you have any questions about the church, go to firstfam.org or call us at 904-264-2351. The big, big news today is the Floro family, as most of you know, will be sending off. They will be going to New York to plant a church there, but we get the honor and the privilege of watching... Um, Mr. Floral baptized his baby girl today. So we're excited about that as a church family to be able to share that moment with him and his family before they, they leave. And they are leaving this week, I believe. So this will be the last time to, you know, pray for them and send them off. So we're going to do that as a church family today. So if you can, stand on your feet with me. We're going to pray. And then I'll, we'll get the experience of baptism, all right? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before you and your word you say, where two or three are gathered, you are present. We don't want to take that lightly today, Father. We don't want to take it lightly that the God of the universe loves us so much that he's here with us right now in this moment, Father. Father, today is a special day. A child will be baptized in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Baptized into the kingdom, Father. The great commission will be fulfilled in this child today, Father. Allow that to spark the fire in us, Father. Allow that to rejuvenate that fire we have for going out and sharing your gospel and telling more people about Jesus Christ. As we walk in this dark place, Father, we know that people are searching, people are hurting from all the prayers that we heard this Saturday. People are going through the storms of life right now. In this room right now, Father, allow all of us to be a beacon of light. Shine your light so brightly through us that when people are in the darkness, they can find you through us, Father. Allow us to shed your light and your love for the ones who are searching for you, Father. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remain standing for the baptism. Well, good morning, church family. If I've not gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jordan Floro, and I have the privilege of baptizing my son this morning and my daughter as well. Uh, but I want to introduce you to Judson Floro. And uh, Judson and I had been having conversations for the past year about what it means to be a Christ follower. And, uh, and he's prayed to trust in Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. So we're here to celebrate with him and believers' baptism. Amen. All right, Judson, have you placed your faith in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. All right, well, upon that profession of faith and the obedience of the command to baptize those who believe on him, it is my honor and privilege to not just baptize you as my son, but as my brother in Christ, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Church, I'd like to introduce you to my daughter, Annie. And like her younger brother, Annie and I had been having conversations with her mother as well, just about what it means to be a Christ follower. And so, Annie, have you placed your faith in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. Well, upon that profession of faith, it is my honor and privilege to baptize you as my daughter, but also as my sister in Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Church, can we pray before we move on to the service? 
Father, we love you. We thank you for this work that you've done in salvation, God. We know that every salvation is a miracle, that you have pulled somebody from the grip of sin and brought them new life. God, we thank you for Annie and Judson and their commitment to following you is uh, making you their personal Lord and Savior. We love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. What a great day it's already been. We got, oh, the balcony has got quite a few up there. Those are the, those are the expensive seats. You guys are doing great up there. So uh, glad to have you here. I know that uh, today is our first day back with life groups. And so thank you for those that uh, maybe for the first time since March, we're able to sit in a room at least near, near someone else with an open Bible and having a Bible study today. And thank you for joining us here for worship. It is a, a big day for us. I know we have uh, quite a bit of the floral family members are here and some friends are here as well. And, and I'll just tell you, my mom and dad came down just for this today. So they're here today. You didn't know that, did you? But uh, we have a lot of our guests here with us uh, this morning. Thank you for tuning in online. I think we had a start and then we had a restart. So if uh, you found us again, we're streaming once more. Thank you for joining us online today for those either on Facebook Live or on YouTube. If you are guests with us, and Stan may have mentioned this earlier, I don't know, but just be sure if you can to go to our website, firstfam.org. That's where the, uh, the, the welcome card is. It's all digital nowadays, so fill that out. If you have any specific prayer requests, you can do that on there as well and submit that. We'd love to know. Uh, about your, uh, your family, about you, and the things maybe that God is doing in your life. And if you have some special needs or specific needs, please let us know in that. I'm excited as we continue to move through um, what it means uh, to really be ascending church. We're going to be talking about that today quite a bit. Uh, this was a big day for the Floros, a big week for them as they're preparing to move to New York City. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. But um, I also want to remind you or let you know that one of our other churches that we are supporting, uh, Ryan Armstrong and Remnant Church Leesburg, Leesburg, Florida, that is a church that uh, we are a supporting church for them. They are sent, that is a term we use, the primary sending church for them is Grace Alive Church in Orlando. And if you remember Grace Alive and Pastor Cam Triggs, we are their sending church. They are still a church plant and getting funding through uh, Send North, uh, Send, uh, North America. Uh, but uh, they are also sending out Ryan, and we are supporting church for Ryan Armstrong. So they're having a preview service today, which is a legitimate real church service. It's just that it's not weekly yet. And so pray for Ryan Armstrong, pray for the church in Leesburg and all that God is doing there. Uh, before I get into the message, just briefly, I'm going to ask Jordan Floro to come up. You've already heard him this morning as he had the great honor and privilege of baptizing his children. And I've asked him to just give us a brief little 30,000-foot view of what God is doing in the Floro family as they prepare prepare to move to New York City tomorrow night. It's happening. All right, come on up. Hey, good morning, church. How are we this morning? Well, good. Hey, before we jump in, I just want to say thank you so much for um, all of your support. Uh, we talked before, um, back in December, whenever uh, we started our friendship relationship, sending church relationship, um, we had no idea at how dear you guys would become to us. And we are grateful uh, for your support, for your prayers, for your encouragement. And uh, I was just thinking through in the, back, the past service, just all of the ways that you guys have supported us and encouraged us from uh, Stanley, Pastor Stanley Puckett coming to our house, Brian Borden going through financials to make sure that we don't get sent to jail because we do our taxes wrong, uh, to Stan, Pastor Stan um, providing work for us, uh, lunch meetings, coffees, encouragement, um, cookies. I mean, the whole thing, you guys have, uh, have been just an incredible encouragement to us. And, uh, and this has been um, 
something that we, this church has just been such a, a meaningful place for us. So thank you uh, for all that you guys have done and, and continue to do in partnership with us uh, to plant in, in Sunnyside, Queens, New York City. Uh, real quickly, the question we get asked all the time is, uh, why in the world would you leave sunny Florida to go to Queens and go to New York City? Why, does, why would you do that? And uh, a little over a year ago, I was challenged with a question. And the question was, what is the one thing in your life that drives everything else? And I was serving as a student pastor. Things were going really well. Everything was great. Um, but I heard that question, and I studied Galatians chapter 5, talking about walking in step with the Spirit. And what does that mean, that the Holy Spirit calls us? And, and God began to work in our lives and um, really took some things uh, from what he'd already been doing for the previous six years uh, to draw us to uh, the neighborhood of Sunnyside in Queens. And uh, long story short, God um, gave us an affection and an affinity for people that are there. Just to give you a little bit about Sunnyside, there's about 65,000 people. And right now in Sunnyside, there are no English-speaking Southern Baptist churches for 65,000 people. There's um, some, some international churches. Uh, there's one uh, English-speaking evangelical church uh, for, for those 65,000 people. Um, there's a tremendous need for more churches everywhere, but there's a tremendous need for churches in, in Sunnyside and in Queens. Um, another statistic that really uh, captured us is that um, there's uh, 17,000 people per square mile, and over almost half of those people are first-generation Americans that have come from somewhere else. And so God's given us a vision to plant a church that plants churches. And so we don't want to just go and, and plant a church and have that be the end. We want to raise up pastors and, and have them being, be sent all over the world from Sunnyside. So God has, has brought the world to this neighborhood, and, and we're going to share the light of Christ with, with those, uh, those neighbors um, so that in hopes we would plant more churches who plant more churches, who plant more churches all over the world. So um, that's something that you're a part of. We're grateful for, for all of your prayers, all of your financial gifts, and we're excited to partner with you and hope to see every single person up in Sunnyside for some time uh, on a short-term mission trip or, or even longer. So thank you so much. Thanks, Jordan. Yeah, you better. Thank you. There is... Um the, the journey and the friendship uh, has grown, and, and the Foros are not just uh, friends, they're family. We are uh, committed to them, committed to this mission. Uh, all of a sudden, I, I care about Queens, New York. I don't know why, because you're going to move there, and we've got uh, a need there. Uh, tomorrow, at about 4 o'clock, for those that, whose backs are recovered from yesterday's uh, moving of food into people's cars, we're going to try to pack up their house. Now, they're living in our mission house, which is right across the street here. So it's on Hopkins. It's the second building. And that's where they've been living for the past, uh, I don't know, six months or eight months or so. Or, and and we, uh, they're heading out tomorrow. He's renting a truck. Did you sell the car between the first service and now? You're close. So they have a Honda that you need to buy. Someone needs to buy it. If you don't buy the Honda before the day's over, they've got to tow it up there and then sell it. So uh, somebody needs a Honda. I think it'd be appropriate to just gift them, you know, 50 grand for it, right? Um, it has, what, 300,000 miles and no back seat. No, it's actually in really good condition. It's really good condition. I'm not, I'm not knocking on that. It's a good car. It, you can go look at it. It's a car. We can go right outside and look at that. 
But uh, if you're looking, if you're really, seriously, if you're looking for a vehicle, uh, we finally convinced Melissa they didn't need it there, so we're going to sell that car, not tow it there. The truck is being loaded up tomorrow at 4 o'clock. If you want to come help uh, load some furniture in a truck, he's going to be heading out tomorrow evening, and then the family will join him there. They're going to fly up there later in the week. So uh, it's happening. It's, it's here, and uh, we're excited about it, and I'd love for uh, folks to, to know and, uh, and to be a part of that journey as well. And that leads us to what we're going to talk about today. We are continuing in the book of Acts, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 10. And I know it's a, it's a long narrative as we find ourselves in Acts 10, but just to bring us up to speed just very quickly, you have some primary characters playing out in this story. You have Peter the Apostle, who is a good Jewish Christian apostle, grown, grew up in the Jewish culture, and is obedient to God, has been positioned where he is by Christ. He is a leader in the early church, and he now is outside of the city of Jerusalem, finally, and on mission himself, and has gone to the city of Joppa. While he's in Joppa, 30 miles, I think, south of there is Caesarea, or you know it as Caesarea. It's the same city. It's right there on the coast, and that is a city where the Roman army has an outpost, and a man named Cornelius, who is a centurion, uh, a military leader, a respected individual, a God-fearer is living, and he is not a Christian yet, but he is seeking to, uh, to follow the God of the Jews, and he is an almsgiver. He is a good guy. I mentioned earlier that, that if you're trying to equate what would he be, he, he, he is just, I mean, he's like the, the best neighbor you would want. He's the Rotarian of the year. He, he is donating money and doing good things for the community, but he's not a Christian, and, and it's like he's got all these things except that which is most important. And God appears to him in a vision, an angel does, and gives him some specific instructions which are delineated once more in this section. While Peter is hanging out at Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa. That's where we find ourselves. So verse 21, if you'll follow along with me in Acts chapter 10. Says Peter went down to the men. These are men whom Cornelius had sent up to Joppa to get Peter. Okay, so there's a soldier and a couple of servants. Peter went down from the roof of this house he was on to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house. And to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in, Peter did, to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, Why? Why you sent for me? And Cornelius said four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa, and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded 
by the Lord. I told Jordan earlier, I said, wouldn't that be a great story that he's loading up the box truck, drives to New York City and finds a family. So we've been waiting for you. And the first service happens, it may happen on Tuesday or Wednesday. So be ready, have a sermon ready. If not then, it's coming. Because here's what we know. Jordan and Melissa have said yes to God to go to New York City, but long before they said yes to God, God already prepared the way. So there are some things that are going to happen, I believe, for the glory of God and for the good of Queens and for the good of the Floral family and even for the good of Orange Park that we have no idea about yet. But through obedience, we'll get to see it. We'll get to experience it. But back to this story. There's some things happening here that impact us here today. I think sometimes perhaps when we read or we're in our life groups, our Bible study groups, our small groups, Sunday school classes, D groups, wherever it may be, or even if we're just reading through the Bible as we are, you know, often do, reading through the scriptures for a year or for a month, and we come across certain stories, and they're great, they're wonderful, but there is, maybe it's just personal testimony here, and it's confession, that sometimes, as incredible the story may be, I just kind of miss the miracle in it. I sometimes miss how amazingly unique and odd that this would even happen in a human story. Maybe because the familiarity of the story, it come, it, we get to it, we've heard this before. Many of you in the room, many of you watching today have already heard the Cornelius Peter story. You heard it before the last two Sundays when we started into this narrative. You've heard it before today. And if you're not careful, you will say, well, I've already heard that, and you might miss what God is doing in it today, right? So, so as we look at this, I think that there's something miraculous happening here. It's on display before us in this story in a way that that maybe we, we don't catch in the first reading. And I believe our study sometimes suffers because of our, maybe, our normalization of the stories. We miss the miraculous. Peter and Cornelius at this moment were about 30 miles apart, so they're nearby. Even in that day, uh, the walking distance, the riding of the donkey distance, whatever it might be, they're still pretty close. But they are worlds away from each other worlds apart when it comes to culture, history, sociological standing, and belief. Carnality and pride had built a wall between their people groups that would take a movement of God to remove. It didn't begin with them, but it continued with them. There was a barrier between Jews and Gentiles. Jews in this day, and this is a collective statement, so there are always exceptions, and this is not a shot, this is just a historical reality. In this day, the Jews had a very low tolerance for Gentiles, and why wouldn't they? They are in occupied territory at this time. The Gentile nations are ruling over them. They have very low tolerance for them and very low tolerance for their religious beliefs and their understanding and their lack of morality. A good Jewish man, as Peter had been raised to be, was absolutely to do nothing with Gentiles by his own account. In the early church, it was comprised of Jews who had become completed Jews, as we've heard that phrase used. They've received Jesus as their Messiah. They've surrendered their lives to him. And so prior to this, there's not the Gentile class and the Jewish class. There's just primarily Jewish believers gathering to worship and to study and to, to follow Jesus Christ. It's all new at this point. But God had something else in mind. He had a church in mind that would not be divided by nationalities or culture or history, but would be unified in him, in the spirit. And so Gentiles would be welcomed in, but before the Gentiles are welcomed in, 
Some of his most faithful servants need to be prepared to welcome them in. And Peter, as godly and as righteous and as good as he was, was still sinful in that regard, and God was whittling that away in his life. Thus the vision from last week where the the sheet is brought down from heaven and all the animals are on there, and he says, oh, I would never eat such an unclean thing. And God says, you're calling something unclean that I created, and I'm telling you now it is redeemed through me. You need to change your perspective need to get a new set of glasses, Peter. And that's what God was doing. But Peter was faithful to the law, as the Jews would be. They were proud of that. And in fact, in the culture of the day, the, the, the Jews considered Gentiles to be pagans, and, and they had nothing but contempt for them, by and large. The church, therefore, was an exclusive group, Jews only. And this hatred and discontent was not one-sided. It was both ways. The Gentiles had very little, if nothing, for the, the Jewish believers of the day. In fact, well, you look there and the anti-Semitism was already in place. Some Jews in some of the ancient writings, it's been stated that Gentiles were created by God to be the fuel for the fires of hell. It's not exactly the welcome mat. In some cases, if a Jewish man married a Gentile woman, a funeral would be held by the man's family for him as he was, quote, dead to me and dead to the family. But the Gentiles didn't get a pass. They viewed Jews as primarily slave material, property, less than human. See, sometimes I think maybe in our uh, American experience and in our more postmodern era, we, we might believe falsely that anti-Semitism really just developed during the 1940s and 30s in, in Nazi Germany, but oh, no, 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 this is a historical divide. You can go all the way back to the book of Esther and even prior to that, and you'll start seeing the divide and the hatred of God's people as it developed then. So now you have this Peter Cornelius story. And it is revealed to be more amazing and outlandish than ever when you realize how separate their own groups were. See, there is a Satan-fueled disdain for other people in this broken world. Thus the Elevation of a caste system or classism or cultural divides, racism, uh, the degradation of women or the shaming of other people. Have you ever been around someone that shames others in their conversations? You know, they'll talk about their weight and make fun of the people that weigh a little bit more. They'll make fun of the way they dress or the way they look or they'll, you know, I don't know, create a website like the, the people of Walmart just to make fun of others. Oh, it's funny, but it reveals some things. That left to our own devices, we tend to elevate self by speaking low of others. That's a sinful reality that all of us, I face this, we all deal with this. So if that offends you, we're offending each other because that's just a reality. That's how Satan, in this, this sinful world that we are born into, that, that is the heart of man apart from Christ. But what God does is he takes our hard heart. And he changes it, and he softens it, and he redeems it, and he gives us better vision and better ability to see things. And, and, and yet, even as believers, and we have to admit this, and even as followers of Christ and children of God, we continually have to push against those, those feelings and those thoughts and those pressures that tend to elevate ourselves at the degradation of others. I mean, we live in the anti-bullying culture, but we've all experienced on one side or the other, or both. And what happens is we, in the church world, over centuries, we have justified segmentation for our own comfort. And that has been done for generations. You might not see it, but if you've ever heard anybody say something like, yeah, 
those people. Do you know who, you know who those people are, right? Let me go ahead and talk about those people. You know who those people are? Those people are anybody that would be defined not as us people. So there's always a those people. And you'll hear people trying to say it very nicely and wrap it in spiritual language. You know, those people would probably be happier if they could worship with their own kind. It even got quiet on the internet right then. But we've heard this said for years. Those people are probably more comfortable in a, with their own. That is not an, a, a godly biblical viewpoint, and there's no way to make it so. When there are those people that we look at, and I'm not talking about those people as far as lost and saved. I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ who just happen to be different culturally, skin tone, language, residency, wherever it may be. This is why the expected norm of Christianity is that people who are alike in their culture, desires, race, economic status, and etc., should just worship together so they could be happy with each other. It may not be said aloud, but, but it is prevalent. And this is what's happened this year. Those of you that have been able to join us online or here in person, you know over the last few months we've had the great privilege. I, I look at it as the silver lining of a pandemic that our missionaries that serve overseas have come home. Now, it's really not home because their home is overseas. But they've come back to their sending nation. And so we've had the Singerman family who have stood on our stage and shared about their faith and about their work in Uganda. We've had the Garduce family stand up here and share with you about the work in Madagascar. If you back it up, even prior to the pandemic or right after it started, you have the, the Cocaine family, or Jason Cocaine, who grew up in this church, he and, his, he and his wife and their children who are living and working in South Asia. You've got these, these are just examples. There are many, many others, and we have some that are, are still on the field, but many have come back on, off the field for a temporary time, waiting to get back out there. And, and I love every one of their stories. These are young families with young children and they stand up here and I love what their God is doing in their lives and I'm challenged by what God is doing in their lives and I hear it from you as well so it's not this is not a shot this is a reality we just we look at that we go that is amazing and that is so incredible and what the faith of these individuals who who would who would sell everything they have because that's what they end up doing they can't keep a pod back here in storage of all their possessions it's gone and they relocate with their kids to another place away from their grandparents and away from their friend group and away from their classmates and away from their school teachers to a place where the friends will be, but they're not there yet. And the culture is different and the comfort level is different. And the challenges are real and heavy. And the, in some cases, the persecution is right before them, much more so than here in the States. And we respond with, oh, that's, that's amazing. That's inspiring. It's so odd. We may not say that, but it's weird. I mean, I mean, it shouldn't be weird, but it is. That somebody would choose to walk away from comfort to a place that may not be as comfortable. So, so look at this. Floros, you were asked this question. You mentioned it. I've, I've been asked for you. Here's the question. Why would anybody go to New York City? On purpose. From Florida. Now, for, for my three viewers in New York City, I know Juan was looking earlier. So it, it's, it's just, that's just what I'm hearing. There's a reason the term snowbird developed. New York, now they, most of the New Yorkers just passed through Jacksonville and relocated in Miami and South Florida, but 
The interstate going south has to be redone more than the interstate going north. So why move from here to there? It's the same question I think that Peter and Cornelius have before them. There are these why questions before them. So let's go back to that story. These two men lived in different circles. They would not encounter each other naturally. They would not be shopping at the same marketplace. They would not be eating the same foods. They're not eating in the same restaurants. They don't go to the same church. They would never just randomly interact, for they would intentionally not interact. They didn't have common stories. They couldn't talk politics. Try talking politics with the Roman centurion that works for the occupying government in your land. They couldn't talk religion. Well, maybe they could a little bit, but even that's a divide at this point. They didn't root for the same teams. It was a bigger divide than all these, and there's like two, well, a number of Ohio State fans right here on the front. This is the biggest challenge for the Florida people praying for you right now. I just want you to know that. But but it's, it's a bigger divide than Florida-Georgia. It's a bigger divide than sports teams. It, they, these people are, they, Cornelius and Peter are not hanging out together getting coffee. And if not, think about this, if not for the occupation of Israel by the Roman government and the growth of the Roman Empire, Cornelius would never have become likely the first Gentile member of the church. So even in something you're going, where is God in that? God was in that. Long before Maybe Cornelius even enlisted in the military or moved up to Centurion or got transferred to this base. God was at work. In the letter to that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the church in Ephesus, he writes a lot about the walls that separate Gentiles and Jews in the early church because just because they shake hands and love each other one day doesn't mean the walls don't start rebuilding naturally the next day. Look at this in Ephesians 2. Verse 11, Paul writes, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Here's the modern paraphrase of what he's just saying. He's looking at these people in the church and he's saying there is a dividing wall that continues to be built up among Christians in the same church and they're doing so by elevating themselves over the other group. And what he's saying is, hey, I just want you to know that we know what's happening in Ephesus. The Jews keep reminding you Gentiles that you were not circumcised, and you probably, they didn't vote you into membership. And you Gentiles are bringing up things that are not loving to your Jewish brethren either. So why go to Ephesians? Because Ephesians and Acts 10 are like sister passages. One gives you, the, gives you the, really the theology that is essential for the church, and that would be the Ephesian passage. The other is, is a theological statement as well, but it gives you the history of why it's an issue. That's the Acts passage. And this leads that, to that ultimate question that Peter would have to answer. In fact, it is the question Cornelius had to answer. Um, to be fully transparent, it's the same question that the Floros had to answer. It's the question that I had to answer, and for any follower of Jesus Christ, it is the same question you have had to answer at some point in your life. And it is a one-word question with a question mark at the end, and it is this question. Why? Why? If you want to look at Cornelius' question, it's, it's kind of this. Why did Cornelius even send for Peter? Well, 
The narrative gives us the steps taken. Cornelius was religious, God-fearer. He was a well-respected Gentile military man with power and influence. And God appeared to him, an angel appeared to him, and gave him specific instructions. Specific instructions. I think this is interesting. Look, the angel said, there is a man named Peter, and he's staying 30 miles north of here in Joppa, or 30 miles away in Joppa, at a house that he doesn't own. He's just spending the night there. It's like a, just a temporary residence while he's traveling. He's staying with Simon the Tanner. That's where he is. You, Cornelius, need to send your servants and a soldier to Joppa to get Peter, Simon Peter, and bring him to you. It is a specific, there's no muddy, muddiness here. There's no gray area. These are specific orders, and I find it, well, that's appropriate. Here's a military man. He understands the value of specific orders. And the commanding officer, God, in this case, gives specific orders. I want you to go specifically there to find specifically that man to bring him specifically back to your house so that he may tell you the fullness of the gospel. I have a plan at work. In obedience to his specific orders, Cornelius sends servants and a soldier, and that journey begins. And while that's happening in Caesarea, there's something else happening up on the northern side, up there in in, uh, Joppa. But here's what we know as we look at this, and we have hindsight, which is incredible. God has given us this. God was repairing a centuries-old divide that was being played out either intentionally or unintentionally between these two men representing two people groups who were divided by human standards but would be united for eternity as family members of God. They would be not only Gentile and Jew, not only natural, I guess, enemies or separated, they're going to become not just friends, they're going to become more than fellow church members, they're going to become brothers, closer than blood relative brothers. For the glory of God, this meeting had to happen. It had to happen for the early church. It had to happen for Gospel uh, City Fellowship, which is the new church coming to Queens. It had to happen for First Baptist Orange Park. It had to happen for the church in Ephesus. This had to happen. Cornelius didn't know all that. All Cornelius knew was that God said go, and he said, okay, send these guys. I'm going to send them. I'll wait for him to arrive. But the second why question is, why did Peter go to Cornelius? Well, one reason is a soldier's knocking at the door and says, come with me. So there's that, very practical. But there's some other things going on here. Of course, there's the vision and all that's happening in Caesarea. But while that's happening there a little earlier, there is a latter vision taking place in Joppa with Peter. So Peter's having this moment with God during his prayer time. And, uh, and as soon as amen is said, there's a knock at the door and says, hey, we're here looking for Simon Peter. And in God's incredible timing, pre-GPS, pre-roadmaps, they arrive right on time. Hey, is Simon Peter here? We were told this is Simon the Tanner's home. Yeah, he's right here. And Simon Peter meets with them. And then he, they spend the night there, and then the next day they get up together. A group of men go with him from Joppa, and they arrive in Cornelius. And I love what you see about what Cornelius is doing. He knows something good is about to happen because God has spoken to him. And while he is awaiting Peter to arrive and really hoping he will, Uh, I guess he could say no, but he's believing he will arrive. He has already told every family member and dear friend that he has, you need to come to my house because the message is coming. And they're waiting. They're hungry. And Peter arrives. And here's, here's this highlighted verse in my Bible, verse 28. 
It said to them, Peter said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. I guess just in case anyone was looking and listening in, he's just clarifying, I probably shouldn't be here, but I'm here. And then he says, but God has shown that I should not call any person common or unclean. Okay, that's not really cordial, but I get it. And then he says this, so when I was sent for, I came without objection, and now I ask you this question. It's the same question we all have to answer. Why? I ask you this question. Why did you send for me? Cornelius answered, and God put this Jew in the house of a Gentile to destroy centuries of division, showing how God is a unifier for those who surrender their lives to Christ and makes the church a family. And this was done for the glory of God and for the good of Cornelius and for Simon and for others and for us. I think of that why question. I go back to the question asked to Jordan and Melissa. Why go to New York City? I've heard a number of people ask that, and they're not mad about it. They're just curious. Why in the world would you do that? And sometimes the follow-up response when I say, you know, because the, the right answer is, well, God told you. I mean, it's a church. We're in church. That's the right answer. God told you. And yet the response to the God told him is, more like, well, I wouldn't go there, or glad God didn't tell me that, or, you know, those kind of, whoo! It's kind of the same response we get when we hear the missionary speak, and we're all being charged with, let's go serve the Lord somewhere, and we're like, God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, except, well, these 25 nations, I don't want to go there. It's the yes, but fellowship that we often offer God. My yes is on the table, but my hand stays on my Yes. So if you ask me to do something that's uncomfortable, I will just remove it and hopefully we'll just pray about it and no one will notice. Why go to New York City? Why now? Why in a pandemic? It makes no sense. Is there any benefit in, in going during a pandemic? Apparently for rent, it's a benefit because it's much cheaper now. So they're moving into this spacious 800 square foot apartment. Just a, It's about the size of this pulpit. But it's a blessing. Let me tell you about this. this. This is a conversation we had, Jordan and I had. We went to lunch last week and, you know, just an update. What's going on? How are you getting the truck? We're doing this, that, and the other and moving up the dates, getting all that organized. And he said the realtor called him and said, hey, the, the landlord of the apartment complex, he wants to talk to you. Ah, okay. So he talks to the landlord and the landlord is uh, Russian heritage from Russian background and he owns this building and I think, what was it, six, eight apartments there, something like that. And he was renovating them so that they could rent them. And, and, and here's, I'll, I'll just give you a, a Reader's Digest snapshot, Twitter version of the conversation. Um, they had, he, he basically said, uh, we've renovated the apartments and I'm going to have to rent, they were sitting empty, some of them, so I'm going to rent it at this amount. And if I had only finished before the end of February, I could have rented it for three times that or something. It's just a crazy number. But uh, I guess a little money coming in is better than none. So that's what he's looking at now. And here's what I say. I say, God is showing favor on this family and providing a place for them to live right now. And uh, we're, we're, so pray that God will show more favor and turn the one-year lease into two at the same amount. There's a specific prayer. But they got a one-year lease for that apartment complex. But here are the questions, just some of the questions. <laughs> it's basic questions, business questions like, how are you going to pay for this? Where is your income coming from? Because 
we are his sending church and we receive money from our mission board and we have donations from church members and others. And there are other churches in our city that are actually sending money for you to us so that we can make sure you get that. But it's all donations other than what is agreed upon from the mission board. And so it's not like we can present at this point, especially a an employment history or a W whatever, nine or whatever they're asking for, it doesn't exist. And so we have a letter on letterhead saying, hey, we're good for it. You have no idea who we are. But we're good for this. This is part of our role. We're paying to make sure that they do not go hungry, just as we've done with other church planters. And But he, this landlord had no place to put that. And then the, one of the follow-up questions that really just kind of resonated with me, he said, so why, again, same question, why? Why would a church in Florida Spend money to send someone like you to New York City. That doesn't make sense to me. And if you want to go a little deeper, why would they send you here to go to a church that doesn't exist? And what you begin to realize is that he had no box to put that in. And from a business perspective, there is no place to put that. And the opportunity to talk about the gospel and talk about the work and the ministry and all that, I mean, you've got to use words that are not churchy, churchy words to at least have the conversation. Now, thanks be to God that they still have the place, they have the lease, it's, you know, they're, they're trusting in this. But this is kind of what they're stepping into. Why in the world would a church in Florida give you money to move to New York City to go to a church that doesn't exist yet? That is the question we have to answer. That is the question we as a church and as a people and as believers, we have to answer. It is the same question Cornelius had to answer. It was the same question Peter had to answer. It is the question Jordan and Melissa have to answer. It is the question you and I have to answer. Why would we do what we do? Why? Why do something like this? Why would we send this family? Why would we choose to send support and help sustain this church plant. So back in 2011, actually 2010, I got a phone call from a pastor in Tucson, Arizona named Chase. Chase is no longer pastoring a church. The church he launched went well for a while, but then merged with another one. So uh, we were instrumental, at least in the launching aspect of it. It was a pretty interesting story. While this church at Orange Park has been involved in mission churches and other churches and starting and helping that for many times over our 99-year history, it wasn't under this this new terminology of church planting. There's really nothing new. It's just a new way of doing what we've been doing. But it's more strategic. It's more focused. And it's more towards specific areas, specific people groups. I get a call from a pastor in Arizona, and I said, why did you call me? I have no idea who you are. So it took a while to get the credentials there. And he said, I went to my director of missions here in our local association, and he said, if you're trying to plant a church and you need support for a new church, you need to call some church in the Florida Baptist Convention because at least they're on the front end of at least trying to do this. Well, I didn't know we were on the front end of anything. I didn't know we were talking about church planting. And I don't know how, out of all the, what, 1,200 churches in the state of Florida in our convention, that he randomly went First Baptist Church of Orange Park. But he called us. And we were the first one he called. Just want to make sure you knew that too. And he didn't go to 1,100 others and then finally get to one that answered. So we partnered with him for about three years or so before that church merged in with another. That was the beginning of a journey for us. We then had conversations with some guys in Portland where we continue to partner with Paul Hoffman and Kaleo Communities there. 
And then lo and behold, we have the Jimenez family who grew up here. Katie was serving on our staff. Neil was one of our deacons. And they're serving in Toronto. And we're funding to make sure that them to make sure that they remain on the field, serving really as an executive pastor and staff member for all the church planters in the Toronto region. Then we partner with the Godfreys. Mike and Carrie up in Washington, D.C., and then I mentioned Cam Triggs and Ryan Armstrong, and the list just continues to add a few more here and there. And I'm not one to just kind of randomly pick a number, but number 40 just kind of kept showing up. It's a Bible number. I know. I see it in the Scriptures. It's also the number I wore when I had a uniform in college, so I had that same number. I wanted to throw that out there. I didn't play, but I had a uniform, and it had a number on it. So 40 is kind of in this thing, you know, 40, 40. And we're not a huge mega church. We don't have thousands and thousands of members. We don't have billions of dollars in the bank. We just can't do what some can do, and God bless them for being able to. We can't. But I do know this. To be a sending church is more than just a fad. It's more than just the latest thing. That's what God's called us to be. Now, our desire is this, that by the year 2040, that we will have partnered, sent, sustained, and supported 40 church planters in our, in our nation and world. Right now, based on what we have been through and already done, we're about, I think, number 11. I think the Floros are number 11. It's not an impossible goal, and we're not going to put a thermometer on the wall and try to count them. We're not going to do all that gimmicky stuff. I'm just telling you, we desire to be a part of sustained, strong, sent church planters, 40 of them by 2040. I mean, I plan to be here. I hope I'm here in 2040. I would really like for it all to happen by December of this year, but I'm going to go 2040 because it just said 40 for 40. It, it rhymed. If we can get it done by 2030, it'd be incredible. I know God's doing something not just in their lives, but in our lives. See, when I came here 26 years ago, great church that this is and a great history, and God's done so much and raised so many people, but it was, a, it was an odd reality to me when I moved here. It was a, you know, I've been to a number of churches as a kid. I served in one other church before when I was in seminary, and there are certain Baptist terms that kind of pop up, but there was a term used in this church I had never heard before, and it was in-reach. Now, I'm sure other churches have used in-reach, but it's like every Sunday school class had an in-reach department leader and focus. And 26 years ago, I don't know that any had an outreach emphasis. Accidentally or intentionally, we were an inwardly focused fellowship. We loved people, but we loved our own more. And over the years, what God has done in our lives, I, I believe in a changing culture and a changing community, he has allowed us to stay unified by making us look outward. Because we do not exist just so we can come and sit and stay. But our impact is going to be done in what God has done while we're sitting a season and then we send out. It's going to be an amazing thing as God brings us to fruition. The question is, why in the world do we need to be a part of 40 church plants? We can't afford that. You're absolutely right. We can't afford four church plants. We can barely afford one church. But I don't think we can afford not to do this because I believe this is what God has for us. The answer of the why is because it is in the world but not of the world that is our mission and our motivation. God has called us to this. This family is going. They are sent. They're excited and they're scared. I mean, it's just a reality. Who wouldn't be? It's fun. It's an adventure. But it's new. And there's more unknowns than knowns. So there's much faith and trust in God. 
They are sent, and I want those in the room, I said this at 9.15, and those watching online to hear this as clearly as I, I'm not going to stutter on this one. I'll make sure I get, you get this. They are sent to New York City to plant a church. And some of you in the room and some of you watching need to go with them. Let me, I'll clarify in case you think I'm just talking about you're going to pray for them. You do all need to pray, but some of you need to sell your house, sell your car, and relocate. You need to. I don't know who it is. And you're going, oh, not me. That's what everybody says. Everybody says, this is one of those sermons where everybody thinks it's for someone else. I don't know who it is, but I know it's somebody. It's time. You're like, well, I'm not a pastor. I didn't say you need to go be, you got a pastor. But he needs support. Well, who's going who's gonna to pay? I don't know. I don't know who's going to pay for whatever. We'll give you a deal on a Honda. You can drive up there. But somebody needs to put their yes on the table and look to their spouse and say, you ready? Or if they're single, going, it's time. And go. See, this is more than going for a Broadway play or a really cool lunch and dinner at a restaurant. This is learning to love a place so that you can reach a place. Somebody needs to say yes to that. And if it's not New York City for you, it's somewhere. And you go, well, what if it's Orange Park? Well, we got lost people in Orange Park. They're probably living next door to you. Some of them live in your house with you. Some of them are in your Sunday school class with you. Oh, there's lost people here too. The mission is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts. You don't get to ignore one. It's, it's all at the same time. Be on mission now. But I would challenge you to put your yes on the table and take your hand off of it. By putting your yes on the table to where God is calling, you don't get to tell him where it is. All you get to do is say, yes, Lord, I'm ready. Wherever it may be. For however long. And while our natural reaction is no way, I'm not doing that, I can't do that, you just need to understand that's Peter's natural reaction. Until God said, you need to do this. That's everybody who's ever said yes to God's calling to full-time ministries, first reaction that I've ever. No, I can't do that. I'm going to have to give up my job. There's more money in this than that. I mean, listen, only except for a few guys on TV, nobody goes into ministry for the money. I'll just let that kind of lie there and you figure out who they are. It's about the calling. I pray that we send the Floros well today. We are commissioning them now to be on mission for God. They've been on mission. We're not the only church. I know that 1122 has partnered with them. I know that Lake Asbury Baptist Church has partnered with them, sending them, and others are along this journey. God has done some things in the Flora's life if for no other reason to affirm that their yes was the right answer. A church, language church, not an English-speaking church, that you've contacted, if I get this right, has already said you can meet there. How many church planners moving to a big metropolitan area are, are hampered initially because they have no meeting place? They already have that. They already have a place to live. God has opened door after door after door after door and brought an incredibly diverse group of churches together that have one thing in common, the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing his kingdom expand. I'm excited that for some reason, God providentially has chosen to use us in this story. And we owe God a great deal of gratitude and we owe them a long-term relationship see we're going to send them but it doesn't necessarily expire 
That means every church member, and now you know this, every church member in our church is expected to go on a mission trip at some point. Mission trip. I mean, it may be on the other side of Jacksonville, or it may be across the ocean, or it may be to New York City, but we all are expected to do that. Short-term trip. We, we're not called to sequester ourselves for our own safety. It's hard to say in a pandemic, but we've got to keep going. So at some point, everybody in this room is going to visit you. They're going to come knock. They'll tell you first. They're going to knock on the door in Queens. 300 of us will come and stay in your 800-square-foot apartment with you as we do missions work with you. We've got some other plans, but everyone needs to be thinking about this. As we send them today, we are going with them. Some of you need to go personally and relocate. Some of you need to go temporarily on trips. All of us need to go in prayer, praying for them regularly. That's more than a sticker on the fridge or on the bathroom mirror. That's intense prayer. And some of you have and continue, and we want to ask you to keep giving financially. I mean, they'd like to eat and pay the rent, and they don't need the Russian landlord mad at them. And some of you have done that already. Giving your tithes and offerings here helps, but also giving over and above specifically to them. Some of you today have even brought gift cards and and gifts for them. There's a basket here on the front with their name on it. There's one in the foyer. If you're prepared, you can just drop that in there, and we'll make sure they get that. If you, didn't mean, if you meant to bring it today and you didn't bring it, then the, you can come by the office tomorrow, but they're leaving tomorrow night. So get it here by like 4 o'clock. Just take it to their house while you're helping them load their truck. But you can give them that as well. I'm going to ask the Foros to come up at this time. Jordan and Melissa, Judson and Annie, come on up. This is a great family. Newly baptized. This family said yes. I don't know. I mean, Jordan and Melissa said yes, and Annie and Judson said, okay. We'll go wherever you're going. We need to be with you. God has set them aside, set them apart. We have had an incredible, I feel blessed that we've had opportunity to meet them and come in contact with them. We, we offered to be their, their sending church. That took a lot of prayer on their part. What does that mean and defining that? What that means is this. To be a sending church means they're on our staff and they belong to us and we're responsible to make sure they, everything's okay. So when they need a, a break, we're going to try to provide that. When they need resources, we're going to provide that. When they need somebody down here that owns a beach house and they're just so stressed out, you're going to give that to them for a week so they can come stay and get re- rejuvenated. If you've got a cabin in the woods somewhere, that's another thing. And, you know, your pastor could use that. So I want you to know that's also <laughs> something you can offer um, for, uh, for, for people you love like me. So you should do that. But we really are. They're on our staff. I'm going to ask you to do this. We're going to pray for them. Now, normally what I would ask is our, we'd have some of our ordained individuals to come down and lay hands on them, but we're going to lay hands on them pandemic way. And so where you're at home, you can do the same. I'll ask you to stand, church, if you would. We're going to pray for them, and we're going to send them on mission. And then at the, this will be the close of our service. And at the end of this service, if some of you want to talk more with them individually about the journey, if some of you are ready to move to New York right now, then we'll have that conversation. And, and, and if you want to join our church, we have membership pro- questions and classes we can talk about. And if somebody in this room today is not a believer in Jesus Christ, and today you know God has brought you here for that, I believe somebody here needed to hear that. Just like Cornelius had almost everything but Jesus, Somebody here may have almost everything but Jesus. Why don't you just come to Jesus? We'll talk to you at the close of the service. But here's what we're going to do. I learned this from J.D. Greer. He's very wise in this. We're going to, since we can't come lay our hands on them, we're going to raise our hands like we're laying our hands on them. But I'm going to give you instructions, all right? This is, this is hard for Baptists, I know, but you can do this. 
You can do this. You can keep your eyes open, close them. It doesn't matter. But when you, all right, just go ahead and practice with me. We're going to raise our hands. We're going to just pray over them like this. But here, specific instructions. You need to keep your elbow bent. Because there is absolutely no way that I want to see a picture on the internet of a bunch of Baptists doing this. You get it? You can go, go two-handed if you want, but don't you give me that. So keep your elbow bent. That, that'll keep you in the convention, and it'll keep you safe. <laughs> in all seriousness, we want to pray together collectively as, as the sending church. So pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us to be in this story with the Floral family. Just as you orchestrated some things happening in Cornelius' life, separate from what Peter knew was going on, and then you orchestrated what happened in Peter's life, and then you brought them together for a great mission and a great work, so too have you done this in the Floro family and First Baptist Church of Orange Park. Before there was any inkling, any concept, any idea that we would come together for this journey, you were already at work, and we thank you for that. Father, we are already seeing things take place. We're seeing a facility made available in the in the heart of the city, in the region where they're going to be living so that a Baptist church, an English-speaking church can be placed there that will reach those second-generation internationals and those first-generation English speakers and those that have never heard the full fullness of the gospel will have that opportunity. And I, Lord, we, we are out of our comfort zone because I don't know how many in our church were thinking about a new plant in New York City until you brought it to our attention. And now we're in. We're all in. And we're in for the long haul. I pray, Father, for this family that you will protect them. That you will provide many opportunities. Continue to show favor upon their family. Lord, give, them, uh, give the kids some really good friends to hang out with and to play with. And to have a, just a, a, an enjoyable childhood in the city. Give Melissa a dear friends. Give Jordan brothers in Christ and loved ones and folks there that will become as close as family. That you're already putting together. They don't know who they are yet. They've not even yet met, but they're going to happen. And for those in Jacksonville and in other cities like Houston and places in Ohio that are partnering along with them, raise up individuals and families that are ready to move there and help them launch this new church. Let us be intentionally and intently involved in this. Bless them. Strengthen them. May we... May we see what's happening today with the Floros replicate many more times in First Baptist Orange Park with other families as we continue to seek your face and reach this world with the message of Jesus Christ. Use the Floros. You be glorified in their lives. For your glory and for their glory.